Um, so I wrote a bit of a foreword <laughs> um, today. Um, Easter is a time when Christian leaders put their best foot forward, put on their best clothes. All right, this will work. Um, <laughs> and put on their, their best attitudes to please, um, and this is no shade, the casual churchgoer or for those who whatever, um, in hopes that they will attend, they as in the people who visit for the sake of numbers and an ego. Um, but we don't do that here. Um, you are not here to be entertained. I may only have one chance to per uh, perhaps change the trajectory of your life. Jesus is real. He's right here. He's right now. And this time was crafted just for you. Um, that is intentional. Everything that God does, I see it in, in the way in which music moves. It's an orchestration. This is when God is taking all of the possible things that you could think of, and, it, and it's all coming together for a time. And God will absolutely meet you right where you are. So for every prayer that you've prayed this week, whether you are a Christian or no, for God to meet you, I, I have the faith that today is that for you, that today is that for you. Um, and so just bear with me because some facts are going to come out of here. <laughs> uh, typically, we understand, to be, um, we understand Easter to be a time for the, the Easter bunny, candy, eggs, and, and family, and a time to sit through a service and think about what buffet we're, we're going to go to after. Um, but theologically, Easter, or what we understand, or at least as I was studying it, the Pascal, this is the Passover or the time in which God met us. Um, Jesus met us in a place that we couldn't go to, um, at least starting there. So this is tied to the Passover. And so what I want to attempt to do is sort of bridge Old Testament, bring you into the New, and even into the Revelations part. So you can understand that when, when, we, when we got our Bible, the way that it was all put together, that God neglected nothing in all of it. And it's a continual story of a coming Jesus one who was with us and, and was co-laboring co along with us, one who ascended, and one is to come, right? And so it's this continual thread of Jesus all the way throughout the Bible. And so um, as, we've, uh, as I was saying before, the Paschal or the Passover feast, um, the, and you can, um, you can go to Exodus because we're going to go there in a few, um, but it's in chapters 11 and 12. Um, the Passover, this is the 10th of 10 plagues as we know them. Um, this is when um, God has now commissioned Moses and Aaron to start to bring the children of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage, right? And when, when, we, when we read our Bibles, I don't know how many of you do this, but I love the really old movies, and I think of, like, Charlton Heston as Moses, right? <laughs> I think of, like, <laughs> him going up there. He's all gray in the beard. And this guy has, these are obviously styrofoam tablets that he's coming down off the mountain with. And you see, like, Aaron's, like, done all this stuff with the gold calves. And he's, like, throwing the tablets at everybody. And so when I think of, when I think of how that all went about, I think cinematically, like, oh, man, this must have been it. But it kind of was and it kind of wasn't. Charlton Heston is awesome because Ben-Hur is good too. And I have the extended Ben-Hur. So I'm getting the beginning. I'm getting the intermission part in the beginning or after that. And then I'm watching the whole thing. I commit the time because it's a great movie. So, um, yeah, so the 10th of the, of the 10 plagues. And I do not have the time, <laughs> and I wish I could, to go into how God, like in almost in street vernacular is like 
literally sunning all of these lower tier gods throughout the entirety of Exodus, <laughs> you know, and especially in Egypt, because what God is bringing is it, this is him showing himself really strong to Pharaoh, to uh, the, the land of Egypt, and to the gods that are over this place, right, or at least the ones that they worship. Um, you know, I think, I think it really woke me up to you shall have no other gods before me, because you're going to worship something. You're going to worship someone. And when that happens and you begin to misplace that, sometimes, whether we like it or not, when you pray that God brings you back on track, sometimes he's got to, like, smack you to get there, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, sometimes he just had to smack fire out of me to get me back in certain places. But um, I'm grateful for our support pastors and that because when I was processing through certain things, they were definitely a voice of reason for me. Um, and so we understand that Pharaoh is incarnate, right? So when he is sitting on the throne and he is ruling Egypt, this guy is the son of Ra or Amun-Ra or an incarnation of Horus, right? And so when he is sitting on this throne, he is a deity <laughs> to himself because he's been raised to believe that for years and years and years. And then the people who will go to honor him, even when you see like these older, uh, really younger pharaohs that come in when I think, and I, and I can't remember who it is, but when he's sitting on the throne at the age of 15, they believe already that this kid is an incarnation of a god. He is a god to them. So when they grow up believing that since like the age of five, of course you're going to sit there and there's going to be a little bit of arrogance and some air that goes along with it. And they practice this thing where the one thing that the, the pharaohs, the, the men who are their fathers or otherwise will teach them as they're growing up, it's this cosmic belief of balance called ma'at. And so ma'at is this thing where it's like this is as the gods have willed it, and so this is what it is. And if something's wrong, it's because it's you and not them, right? And so we're going through all of this stuff. Sorry, like I said, I'm going to try to, like, condense this thing. And so um, when Aaron and uh, when Moses and Aaron show up and when they say the God of Israel has said to me to tell you, hey, you need to let these people go. When you read in the Bible, when he says, who is this God of, of, of Israel? Who, who is this that I should listen to him? He is indignant at the fact that it's like, yeah, but we serve all these other gods that are way more powerful. You guys are slaves. You've been slaves. And so I don't know how you think that this God of Israel is more powerful, but all right, whatever. Just keep making stuff, right? And so it even gets harder. The slavery gets way worse. And they're just toiling and laboring, breaking their backs and so on. And so that's when God is like, okay, now for my namesake and because you're my people, now I have to start doing some things. I promise you we'll get there. As God is literally like sunning all of these other gods, the intricacy in which God does in the ten plagues is literally a clap at the God in which they're going after. So every plague is intentional. And so even when you get to the part where it talks about the locusts at the end and it says that these locusts will come and, it, and, and there were so many that it said that the, the, the land was dark, right? 
And so when we think about that, it's like, okay, well, maybe there were just so many that there were there. No, there were so many that they were covering the sun. And when you, <laughs> and when you think about it in Egyptian culture, and I could be getting this wrong, I think it's uh, not Amun-Ra, but I think it's uh, Horus, who is, they call him the, the eye of, of the land or the eye, the, uh, the, the, the eye of the sun or the eye of light, right? So when these locusts are coming, it's literally blinding this God. And so now the people are like, okay, well, what's happening here? Because if every time the sun rises, this is Amun-Ra resurrecting, well, what happened to the sun? What's going on right now, right? So it's causing a lot of doubt, a lot of disbelief. And as Moses is starting to, like, get more of what's going on to the people, they begin to believe him, and they start distrusting their own Pharaoh, right? So obviously you start reading more in the accounts, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, or he hardens his heart, which I could get into all of that, but we can sidebar on that another day. Excuse me. Um, there's so much in there. So we read a little bit further in Exodus now as God has now brought the 10th plague this one is really, really serious. And it's also a bit of recompense because if you remember earlier in the Exodus account, as the Pharaoh has come to power, excuse me, um, there is a decree that goes out. And because Pharaoh is trying to quell the possibility of a rebellion, he says, hey, all right, we got to deal with these guys wisely is what he says. And so I have to start doing something to make sure that these millions of people don't rise up against me. Because the only thing they have over them is a mentality. It's a power mentality. It's a dynamic that they feel like, well, there's nothing we can do. And as they're going through the wilderness, this is made clear over and over and over and over again. This is the mentality that they were in. So Pharaoh says, okay, we want to take all of the firstborn sons and we want to throw them into the Nile. Okay? That's literal. Throw them into the Nile, into the Nile because... We need to stop all of this, so let's get all their firstborn sons, regardless of their age. Um, so the tenth plague is now God saying, okay, well, now I got I to gotta do something. I got to really do something powerful here. And so he chooses to say, okay, well, this is the route we got to go. Um, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I just want to throw that out there. might seem cruel to some people. But God is justice as much as he is love. So I just want to put that out there. So we're going to go ahead and go to Exodus 12. Oh, you got it up. Y'all look beautiful. Thank you. Um, and uh, we're going to read through 13. Um, so um, your lamb shall be without blemish. Remember that. A male, uh, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, some of the blood, remember that, and put it on the two doorposts in the lentil of the house. And just in case you need to know, the lentil is like the top, right? The doorpost and the lentil is what's on top of the houses in which they eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boil it in water, but roast it, its head and its legs and its inner parts. Anybody like chitlins? Um, and you shall, let, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. <laughs> All I could think of was pops, everything from the rooter to the tutor. Sorry. 
So um, anyway, <laughs> it's <laughs> and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. God is being very intentional in all of this here. Go ahead and go on to the next one. In this manner you shall eat it, and with your belt fasten your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Stop right there for a second. So you see the urgency here because now God has already asked Moses and Aaron to meet uh, Pharaoh at the Nile, but then they go up into his chambers, and he's now like, at this point, it's like, listen, man, (laughs) you need to let our people go so they can serve God because this is what's coming. But God already understood Pharaoh. Again, years of being raised up a certain way to believe he was more powerful than the people And he certainly believes that he's more powerful than the God of Israel because of the many he serves, right? And it's funny, sometimes I think we get this false sense of of, uh, of power, of empowerment when we think that the many who are behind us, which may not always be the best people behind you, that are uh, pushing you to do something that's probably pretty stupid if you're thinking about it, right? Um, I know a lot of dudes that get caught up in certain flags and sets and whatnot because They're looking for something, but then they decide to partner up with a set, right, with, with, you know, for a gang or whatever, right, whatever you want to call it. Um, So when they they decide to flag with these people, there's solidarity in it. But sometimes the things that they have to do are pretty bad just to get initiated. I remember years and years ago, just a sidetrack, when I knew some guys, so these names are going to be funny, but they are what they are. I knew a crip named Lil Draws. That's just who he was, little skinny guy. Um, and he was a guy that was definitely banging for his set. But then him and this guy, Mike, were friends. And so Mike was definitely Pyru. And then Crips, I don't remember exactly what set he flagged, but he was definitely Crip. But they were friends, and I could never understand that. I'm like, how are y'all friends, and you're supposed to be banging uh, opposite sets or whatever. But at the end of the day, they were always friends. I remember Mike telling me, hey, bro, when you go home tonight and probably for the rest of this week, if your mom or somebody else are out and you see cars rolling by and their lights are off, don't flash them to turn their lights on, right? Because out of courtesy, we're like, boop, boop, because we want them to turn their lights on. Whoever does that, no matter who it is, someone was supposed to get out and start dumping on your car. So this is the kind of stuff people get behind because they need to feel needed and wanted. This is something that people want to get behind because there's solidarity in that. Again, just because you're with the crowd doesn't mean you're always doing the right things. Message. All right, so uh, uh, next verse in 12. Oh, eat it with haste. So God's getting ready to do something. <laughs> and they have, to, they have to be ready because they got to hurry up and leave when it happens. Um, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments because I am the Lord. And the last one, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you uh, to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In the Hebrew, there, it's actually um, uh, part of the verb is literally like to strike. Like this is God doing something very final here. He's, this is a, 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 a smashing of an idea of different gods and one who exalted himself before anyone else. 
Um, I promise we're going to get there. So, um, um, and then as we continue reading um, in Exodus, um, uh, God uh, struck the land, uh, the blood of the doorpost. Sorry, I'm catching up here. Um, okay, so then after all of this happens, there's a great cry that comes out of the land, right? And at this point, Pharaoh is like, I'm done. Obviously, or moreover, the God of Israel is definitely greater <laughs> than who we serve. And so without even being nice about it, get your people, get your livestock, get your crap, and get out of here. Because we can't do anything now. At this point, we're, we don't know what else to do, right? Because you read more about, like, all of the different, um, even his own uh, priests and them who are, like, trying to do all these weird things to, like, prove, oh, it's not a big deal. But God just continues to flex on them, like, okay, you got that, well, then let me tell you with this plague of boils how this affects this God that you believe in, etc. right? So God does everything in totality, right? Like it's not just these things that happen. You got you to really sometimes go beyond what you see on the surface and understand what God is doing underneath the layers in your word, right? And so, um, so then after it's all happened, Pharaoh is, is obviously... I can't do this anymore. Get your stuff. But before you leave, bless me too. <laughs> so that turns a lot of what he was even raised to think right on its head. And God is in the business of that all the time. <laughs> um, I just remember coming out of certain ways in which I viewed the Bible and church culture. I'm 47 years old, and I, I cannot believe how much there is still to learn. And I, and I definitely want to get at the mindsets of people who think you figured it all out until God humbles you. Keep in mind that just because you can read on the surface <laughs> doesn't mean you're always in line with what God is doing. And just because you can walk into a church service and check a box doesn't make it any more or less holy. If God is asking us to live rightly before him, it is beyond the surface of what you're reading in your texts. Um, and I, I learned a lot um, in these last few years. And um, I'm grateful for this community, and I, I mean that. Um, and the people who I still know from, from others, um, because there's a very solid base of those people. Anyway, tangent there. Um, finally, we see the people get out. God does this miracle where the Red Sea is parted, right? We all know the story, again, you can go back to Charlton Heston <laughs> in that, and you see him, like, stretch the thing out, and you see it. And in some of the uh, Prince of Egypt, uh, if you look at the Bible Project, you can see any of those. And it's kind of cool sometimes where they'll do the lightning effect in the back, and then these walls of water up, and you just see whales and fish, and they're all kind of, like, scared going through. And, you know, the way God did things is it wasn't even on mud that they were travailing. It said the land was dry, dry land. Think about that. It started that night, and as they're sitting there, and the Egyptians, because Pharaoh hardens his heart again, what am I doing? We've just let all the people who were building up my kingdom go. No, we got to go get them back, because we got to do something here, right? God does something. The, the, it talks about the pillar by night, a fire that gets in between. There's a wall there. You can read all this on your own. 
They pass through the dry land, but it takes a while, right? Because sometimes I think when we think of it in the cartoon, like Moses puts his staff out and immediately the waters part. No, it said that there was a really strong wind that came in from the east, right? And even now, some of you have a really hard time believing that, let alone imagining it. But God did it because we start to see later as they're reaching, um, as, as Joshua goes into Jericho, it says that what God did in, its to- in his totality was so great that by the time they reached Jericho, Rahab had already heard of it and was talking to them about it. Well, we know what happened with Pharaoh, right? So anyway, so as, as that happens or whatever, and one of the things that I kind of was thinking on is that when we see Moses do something for the first time, we see him start to beat up and then eventually kill an Egyptian who was beating up another one, right? Like, in a way, it's almost like Moses kind of had this idea of who he was and maybe in his own power decided he was going to try to do something about what was going on, but then he ends up getting banished. And then God does some things in that, right? Um, But he became like his brother's keeper in a way too. So there's like this dual concept in there, right, where he's trying to do it out of his own power, still trying to set the people free, maybe in his own way. And then we also understand that as he's doing it, he becomes his brother keeper, his brother's keeper, unlike if you're reading before when Cain and Abel, all that, right? So, again, the Bible is intricate in how it loops all of these things together in their concepts. So, um, so again, what is the parallel between what we understood in, the, in, in Exodus and to today as it is Resurrection Sunday or even the crucifixion? So the blood of the spotless lamb had to be shed. And the body had to be consumed so that death would pass us, that we could be set free to serve the Lord. Because that's basically the, what's happening, right? This is why, so they can serve God, right? Um, we know that after Jesus uh, prayed, right, as we're getting ready to transition into the New Testament, he was betrayed, he was arrested, tried, he was denied, beaten, mocked, crucified, he died, and he uh, buried, and he was resurrected. And he did all of this for you, all for the salvation of his people. And these are things that you can read in Matthew 26, I think in like 30-ish and then into verse 28 or chapter 28 also. Um, And so I want to bring up, I'm not going to read all 29 verses of Scripture on this one, um, but I do believe they're important. I might get to it. This might be most Bible that some of you have had all week. Just going to put that out there. Not shade, but shade in a way. Um, so we're going to do Matthew 27, starting at verse 32. Let me give me a second. That weird, awkward silence. Talk amongst yourselves. Rhode Island. It's neither a road nor an island. Discuss. That's an old Saturday Night Live joke, if you didn't know. Mike Myers, he's awesome. Yes, brackets. When Ben Stiller was Eddie Munster. Okay, stop. You're going to have me doing that. Anyway, <laughs> so um, as they went out, they found the man of Cyrene. I'm just going to say that that's what that is. Serene, Cyrene, however you want to put it. Okay, thank you. Thank you, scholar. Uh, Simon, by name, um, they compelled this man to carry his cross. So Jesus has already been tried. There's all of this stuff that's already happened. He's been brought before the council. He's been brought before Caiaphas in particular. Um, as you read through that account, 
I can't even get into all of what happens there when Jesus is having this back and forth dialogue with this council of elders, right, um, who, who swear they know better <laughs> than the one that's walking with the law on in him. He's fulfilling it, the whole thing, right? And when Jesus says, it is as you say, and it says that he rents his clothes, some people think that's being extreme, but the blasphemy that these guys understood as they were being raised up from the Torah and things like that, like to hear Jesus say, I'm coming on the clouds, right? When Caiaphas hears that, that is an air of royalty and only divine royalty. And it was so offensive to Caiaphas that he rents his clothes, like in anger almost, like, are you serious? And then it says at the end, like, how much more evidence do you need? <laughs> Listen to this man blaspheme who he is. Like, and he meant what he said. Like, it wasn't this thing where it was all like he was just like trying to be evil and the henchman and all this other stuff. No, he understood scripture. They understood law. And when that happened, they were like, what? Who is this guy? You know what I'm saying? So, um, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which, meant the, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. That's almost like vinegar, okay? Um, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And, they, <clears throat> and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Stop there. They decided to gamble right at the foot of the cross. This man is dying after he's already been scourged. Bible tells you in some translations, beaten beyond recognition. Pastor West pointed it out. So mangled, they couldn't tell if he was an animal or a man hanging. And when this is all going on, they're so caught up in who they think they are and who they serve. Again, <laughs> these are Romans now. So can you imagine, literally, if I'm using this term correctly, the pantheon of different gods they say they serve? Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Nah, he's just a rebel. Let's stop him. One man tried, washing my hands. I don't know what y'all want, but we'll let this murderer go, right? So then Jesus up there on the cross, they decide to shoot craps. CeeLo, oh man, you get his, <laughs> Eddie, I love you. You get his robe. Ah, all right, let me get this other one. Oh man, you know, anyway, little Joe, That's, we'll go like that. Um, so then uh, they're casting lots. I just want you to understand how incredibly dishonoring that is. And for us as Christians now, we know this because we can read it, right? Go ahead and go to the next verse. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. When two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, stop right there. That was his charge. Because what could they blame him for? Because they can't say it's blasphemy because they don't know what that is, at least not to them. Oh, he's just a rebel. He's just a rabble rouser, if you want to use a better word for that, whatever. This, this guy is just out here trying to stir up all of these, these guys out here. We've got rule. You know, Pastor Thomas did an incredible exhortation about church history. And just being able to understand it from that perspective, crazy. Just how in totality, Rome had just really conquered most, if not, I mean, a lot of, anyway, what was going on. And so, anyway, the Septuagint, I mean, all kinds of stuff. We could, we could get into that. Two robbers crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. 
And those who passed by um, derided him, wagging their heads. <laughs> wagging their heads. And saying, um, <clears throat> you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, mocking him. If you are um, the son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, um, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Here is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. No, they won't. They saw stuff happen in miracles and signs, and they still didn't believe him. They were trying to kill him then. <laughs> he trusts in God. Okay, sorry. Um, oh, yeah, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And uh, I'll, I'll stop here in a minute. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Stop there. The, another plague of darkness happens in Egypt as God is showing signs and wonders. We know them as plagues, but in the Hebrew it also means signs and wonders. So just kind of as a side note, be careful when you pray for signs and wonders because it doesn't always mean <laughs> it's going to be these wonderful things like in the sky you're going to look up and, oh, my gosh, Lord, it says, re never mind. It says all this stuff up there and you're reading like things and license plates and all this other stuff. Like it, God will answer questions. He will do things in that. But when you're praying, a lot of the times <laughs> God will answer in ways that you just aren't going to like. Just who he is. In the ninth hour. All right. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Man, I worked on that and I still got it. Thank you. <laughs> this is, uh, and that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. So much in there, you guys can start unpacking on your own. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, that reed word, that's another deep cut right there, and gave it to him to drink. Um, but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Again, they're just, they're mocking this guy. And I promise I'll stop and we'll, we'll, we'll get to another point. Go ahead. And then Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Um, we'll stop right there. So you guys get the picture. So Jesus is strung up before all of these people. He is, he is literally made to be an example to those who would try to rebel, but even more so in the brutality of his death, that they would try to make a really bad example out of him if if you go back to any of the account in which Jesus is beaten, there was some intentionality and a lot of malice that goes behind his flogging. The way in which they punched him in the face intentionally. The crown of thorns that are on him. I mean, we're talking barbs that long that are literally digging into his scalp his back is bloodied and dried up from all of the beating. So when they go to take the robe off of him, it's peeling scabs off. We need to paint that picture. This is what happened for you. And so when it's all said and done, 
He's finally nailed up. Maybe some reprieve there. Maybe he could actually breathe. He's hanging there. And then at the end of the day, if you guys know anything about that, asphyxiation because his own body weight. He can't support, so he's having a hard time breathing, right? And most people are kind of in their misery. They break their legs. They go into shock, and people die, right? So not Jesus. They kept him up there so he could suffer. And, and man did he. And man did he. But after all of that, I know I punched you around with some stuff. Here comes the good news. Matthew 28. Let's go ahead and go to uh, chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other, and the other Mary uh, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's a bit of a flex right there. <laughs> uh, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Can you imagine these masculine, brawny guards are all standing there, and something scares them so bad they faint? <laughs> like, oh, like, and they're just on the ground, like, like dead men. <laughs> like, oh, look at that guy. Where was Instagram when we needed that? Anyway, but the angel said to the, woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified right? And he is not here, for he has risen as he said, come, see the place where he lay. So not only are they saying, hey, he's not here, but come on in, I want to show you. I want you to see it. Then go quickly. Don't sit there ogling at what's happening. You know what happened. Now I showed it to you. Now we got stuff to do. Then quickly go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, because <laughs> that would be a really scary thing, and great joy all at the same time, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go into my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I had to pause there because can you imagine what that must be like for somebody that you've poured so much of your life into, so much of your time, so much of your belief and your effort. And just for me, it was just this picture of how would you react if you saw that person again? And so it says they fell and they worshiped at his feet. And I'm sure, man, I'd have just been a mess. <laughs> Jesus, I'd have been slobbering like I have no hair, but I'm trying to like wipe things with robes and whatnot. <laughs> and just like, just a mess before God. Just a mess. And to know that he's going to do in his fullness the thing that he said he would do. And I can't help but think to myself, like, how would I 
have reacted then. And we see many different ways in which the disciples and others, some were walking with him and didn't even know it was him. Others needed proof. Well, let me touch the scars. And then others believed but weren't sure. Others felt bad because they denied him. (laughs) We all know that story. Um, And carried on the way that they did, but Jesus did exactly what he said he would and, and then still loved the people, right? And so when it's all said and done, and um, there was no reason to make this any longer than it needed to be, but worship team, if you guys want to start coming up, because I think there's something here to, to, to dwell on. Um, and just as Mary... And the other named Mary (laughs) understood after showing up, not seeing, hearing, and then experiencing that Christ was no longer there. The one question he asked them, and I would ask you today, why do you seek the living among the dead? This is where things are going to get a little hard to swallow, pause, but, you know, at the end of the day, what thing do you continue to put your time and your efforts into? If it's your own personal stuff, maybe it's a bad influence, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a vice, it could be anything, but you continue to put all of your hope and your trust in something that will yield you absolutely nothing. And I mean nothing. You will be empty for days, years, and weeks to come. And we wonder why depression is so high and people are deciding that it's just better if I wasn't here anymore. And they take their own lives because it's too difficult. But what are you putting your hope in? What have you put your trust into? What thing or person has let you down? And why? Why would you so totally put yourself into something that you know is your destruction instead of going with the one thing that has done nothing but prove itself consistent and he's done nothing but love you? I don't even say a thing, a man. Forgive me. Something in Jesus, something in Christ, something in what God did for us that brought us to salvation. He came for you. And sometimes in the streets, it's, oh, you, you coming for me? Okay, I'm ready. Nah, he came for you. He came for you. He decided that you were important enough. He wanted the family. He could have continued or maybe even put us in a place to where we were just these weird robots that just, when God spoke, that's what we did. And that was it. In benevolence, I'll love them. They'll still be cool. I'll, you know, I can love too and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, your free will is an exercise, and God gave you that. Where now you can choose to love him, or you can choose not to. And one part in a salvation message that we always seem to neglect is that hell is a real place. Whether you believe it's under the ground or somewhere in the cosmos or when God decides that heaven and earth will intersect right here on this planet, that is a place that was meant for someone else and other things else 
And unfortunately, when people decide to reject who Christ is, narrow is the gate, guys. Narrow. It says that when you meet Jesus, he is the Lord of hosts. At that point, he is bringing you into the presence of the Lord. And just like Pastor John prayed earlier when the veil was rent from top to bottom, and something so significant, you may not understand that, it would be easy to, to rip it from the bottom up because somebody could do that. But if you look at how the tabernacle was made, and when you go to look at the curtain, it's so high up that nobody could just rent or rip it from the top down. <laughs> Only God could do that. Only Jesus making a way in which you can now come boldly before the throne. You can now be with God. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Some of you have been begging to set free from your coping mechanisms and your habits, but an empty cross and an empty tomb meant your freedom was purchased. Some of you cycling through, fa uh, through failed relationships, craving intimacy, while you are being stripped of your value, an empty cross and an empty tomb gave you access to the one who will continue to love you better than anyone ever has or ever will. Some of you look to exit this life because you gave everything to something or someone with seemingly nothing to show for your blood, your sweat, and your tears equity. But an empty cross and an empty tomb promised a better return on investment for your life because you are worth more. You are worth more. There is something profound in what God does. And I can't help but become indignant and emotional. These times have done nothing but let you down, but what have you been putting your faith in? How much of yourself can you really do it with? Oh, you're, you're all you need, boo. That's all you need. That's enough. No, it ain't. Because <laughs> if it could, you could purchase your own salvation. But you can't. At the end of the day, Jesus did it all for you. And if right now was when you decided to wake up and you heard nothing else, Jesus died so that you could live. So that you could live today. Some of you seeking attention by however, whoever, and whatever means you can, an empty cross and an empty tomb proved that you hold the gaze of the one who created you. And you're loved more than you can even imagine. At the end of the day, you know what? I can't help but, under, but just become so emotionally wrapped up in those words. And as Christians, we listen to that and we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Have you? Are you really so dull in your senses? Do you really think you know everything that when you hear that Christ died for you too, that it's just another Sunday? Is it really just that, well, okay, it's just knowledge is it really that simple to you? There are layers that you don't even understand that are happening in all that God has done from the time he served on this planet to when he has ascended. He is coming back, y'all. 
He is coming back. And it says that when he baptizes, it's going to be with fire. With fire. That means what you thought you knew when the sky cracks, I can't imagine what that sounds. It says it's like many roaring waters or trumpets. Can you, I, I have stood next to a train, and the, the sound of the train was so loud, it almost brought me to my knees. And that is not an exaggeration. Can you imagine what it must sound like when it says the sky cracks? When Jesus comes, it's going to be so overwhelming. It says every knee will bow. Screw your theology. And I don't make apologies for saying that. You think you know everything because you sit in a certain place and all that other stuff? No. At the end of the day, who do you know? It's not what do you know. When it's all said and done, you will account for your life. Every idle word, myself included. I'm not here yelling at you. This is for me too. And when it's all said and done, he paid all of it. That I get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And to wrap this up, Revelation 1, all the way to the end. Verse 17. Do you guys have that? If not, I can read it. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. There's that is, there it is again. But he laid his hand, his right hand. And Zach had a word about that when he was in his quiet place this morning. And he felt like God had put his hand on him saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. If you knew more people could come to Christ because you got to open your mouth and you didn't worry about how you looked or how you sounded, what more would you do? Because when he ascended, he gave us a commission to go out and make disciples of nations. And we sit in churches where after a pandemic that scared the crap out of many people, myself included, I won't lie. But me and Pastor John, we used to go line up early in the morning at Winco when the pandemic was at its highest. We walked in there and a lady had a full-on hazmat suit. That's not an exaggeration. People were so afraid. And I don't say this with any boasting. It's just facts. Every time we lined up, no matter who was in there, no matter what was going on, not once, not once did we catch a co the COVID virus. Not one time. And we were shopping. You know why? So that we could make this the storehouse. So that people who didn't have could have. So we could feed people. So we could give them clothes and stuff. And we became the hands and feet of Jesus during a pandemic that had people too scared to come outside. But you're in your blogs and you're on your social medias and you're talking all this stuff and you're doubting and you're saying all of that. But where are you? And listen, I don't say this to, to get after people, but we understand the op is Lucy, right? 
like in street code, like that's Luc- that, that is Lucifer, right? The op, the opposition. The op is Lucy. At the end of the day, there's only one reason why we do this is so people don't die going somewhere else where it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you think of that term, gnashing of teeth means they're going to be cursing. You know why? They're devoid of the one thing now that could have saved them, and they just want one more chance. You are alive. You have that chance today. And so what I would like to do is that I'm kind of audibling it here. If you need to know Jesus today, look, get past all of this. This is just who I am. (laughs) I'm not begging you from a place because I'm crying and I'm trying to make you emotional. What I'm trying to say is, is that this is important. And how many times, and we learned this at the men's conference, can we keep coming up to this altar Can today just be the last time you come up here? Will you understand once and for all that Jesus did all of this for you and that you have the power of resurrection inside of you because he lives in you and you've been given the counselor of the Holy Spirit? Some of you will probably come up and want to rededicate. Okay, no shade. Can I ask you a question? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Look, it doesn't make it easy. (laughs) This life is not easy. Man's days are but a few, and they are full of trouble. I know. But at the end of the day, you have one greater who can walk, who has told you he will walk with you through all of it. And we get so mad and think God left me. He never left. He never left you. You turned your back on him. We've all done it. Today, they're going to start singing. There's going to be worship. If you need that time, I want you to think about your life. And not in a way that's like, oh, man, all this other stuff. No. There is joy (laughs) because Jesus rose for you. And I'm, I'm begging you, consider it today. You're not just sitting here. God does everything in his orchestration. It's all for his goodwill and his plan. All of it. All of it. So I know that typically we'll have other people pray for others. If you are a pastor or a leader in this building, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, myself, four right there. The rest of us are serving as we should be. If you need to know Jesus today, if you need to know Jesus today, come and pray with one of us. We want to welcome you into a kingdom. (laughs) Kingdom. There it is. (laughs) And if you want to rededicate, then let's pray together. And I can say this with no arrogance. I believe this. With the people that I know, I walk with them. And they're a constant sounding board for the people that I I know and love. This community here has probably been one of the most hardest to be in 
but it's also been one of the most fulfilling ones to be in. If you do not have a church, just think about it. I'm not here because we need egos driven and more numbers to make us look good. That's not what we're here for. (laughs) But if you don't have a church home, if it's not here somewhere, but I'd like to welcome you to community here, it's tough because it's small and you get to know everybody and you get to know all their stuff. But that's why it's great community because we choose to walk together in spite of what we know. I say that with no shame or arrogance. I love this community. I love our pastors. So, anyway, I am done. (laughs) I'm just going to pray. We're going to go into worship. Don't wait. Whatever you need, God is here for you. Lord, I just thank you for today, God. I thank you for what you've done for us here, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you rose, God that you resurrected, Lord, that you did it all for us. Lord, and even when you had the opportunity, you were obedient to your Father, and you said it was his will. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you chose to say yes to us, God. And so, Lord, whatever it is that you do today, Father God, I pray that it would be powerful and that it would take root, God, and that those roots would go deep, Father God. I pray that conviction would make us uncomfortable, Father God, but not to the point of us feeling sorry for ourselves, but to change, God, because you did it for us first. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just, I thank you that you've already impacted hearts here, Father God. Let them hear from you, not just today, God, but all the days of their lives, Lord, as today we say yes to you because you did it for us first, God. I thank you for what you did here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.